0: I wasn't really ready for that song to end. That sounded good. Thank you very much. Thank you for the music today. It's been a wonderful. Well, Colossians chapter number one. Uh, if you would find that in your Bible, Colossians chapter number one is where we're going to be tonight, and we're going to do what we can to finish this chapter tonight. And then there's four chapters in the book of Colossians, so that means we're about a quarter of the way done. Uh, so we're we're getting there, and I think chapter 1 is the longest chapter, so um, we're, we're over a quarter way done after, after tonight's message. But uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 24 and go all the way down through the end of the chapter. And if you're able uh, to stand, uh, we'll go ahead and stand together uh, for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 1, and I'm going to go ahead and read this whole passage, verses 24 through 29. to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me, mightily. And let's pray together again. Lord, uh, we're grateful to be able to assemble together. Lord, it's so good to see my brothers and sisters here tonight and uh, to be able to see them all day long. It's it's a real blessing. Uh, but now as we uh, turn our attention to your word, I pray that, um, again, our hearts would be open to what you'd have for us and that you would speak to our hearts and that we would be uh, good doers of the word, not just hearers only. And uh, Lord, I pray that ultimately you would receive great glory and uh, and credit for all that goes on. And we pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. Thank you. You May be seated. So, in this um, chapter of the Book of Colossians, uh, we have seen already uh, who Jesus is. We took uh, quite a quite a bit of time to study. Um, what it says in verses 15 down through verse number 19 about uh, who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ really is. And then in verses 20 through verse 22, uh, we learn what Jesus has done for us. And we have seen Jesus at creation uh, as uh, as the creator, and then we see him at the cross on Calvary as he shed his blood all in order to reconcile us to himself. And then we saw what our response to Jesus ought to be. As we think of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, um, we saw in verse 23, in this one verse, uh, our response to him should be that we, we would be steadfast in the faith, that we would not quit, that we would instead continue. And then um, we should be spreading the gospel, and then we should be serving the Lord. And as we uh, strive to have the right response to Christ in our lives, we need to keep in mind some priorities, and so the title of the message tonight is Priorities of the Ministry. As we are striving to be steadfast in the faith, and as we are striving to uh, spread the gospel uh, to a lost and dying world, and as we strive to serve the Lord, there are some priorities that we need to have in our lives that was evident in the Apostle Paul, and uh, Lord willing would be evident in each of our lives as well. I read about a prosperous young investment banker who was driving a brand new BMW on a mountain road during a snowstorm, and uh, as I was reading this story, I was like, okay, that's not the right vehicle to be driving in the snow, Uh, but he was, and as he veered around one sharp turn, he completely lost control and began sliding off the road toward a very steep cliff. At the last moment, he, uh, in a, in that moment, he thought, I got to do something. And so he uh, unbuckled his seatbelt, flung open his door, and leaped from the car. And just then, as soon as he landed, the car then plummeted to the bottom of the ravine and burst into a ball of flames. And although he had escaped with his life, the man suffered a horrible injury. Somehow, his His arm had been caught near the hinge of the door as he jumped and had been torn off at the shoulder. Well, a passing trucker saw the accident in his rearview mirror and pulled his rig to to a stop and ran back to see if he could help. When he arrived at the scene, he found the banker standing at the roadside, looking down at the BMW burning in the ravine below. Incredibly, the banker was oblivious to his injury and moaned, my BMW, my BMW, my BMW. The trucker pointed at the banker's shoulder and said, um, "You've got bigger problems than that car. We've got to find your arm. Maybe the surgeons, can, if we can find it, they can sew it back on." The banker looked where his arm had been, paused a moment, and groaned, "Oh no, my Rolex, my new Rolex." <laughs> You see, this guy had priorities. Maybe not the right priorities, but he had priorities. And uh, here's the truth. Look, every member in this, in this church ought to be a minister of the gospel. Every saint uh, needs to be a servant. You say, well, hey, I'm not in full-time ministry. I'm just, I have a regular job. I just come to church, you know, and, and I don't really have, I, I'm not in the ministry. I, I beg to differ. See, every person who makes up the body of Cornerstone Baptist Church is supposed to be a minister of the gospel, is supposed to be a servant of the Lord. And so here, um, and, and so we all better know what the priorities of the ministry are. Now, what we have in this passage here is not necessarily a, an all inclusive list of all the priorities we should have as we serve the Lord. Uh, but there are three big ones that Paul shares with the church at Colossae and that we all need to take heed to if we're going to be effective ministers and servants of the Lord in our day and age. What are these priorities? Well, first of all, let's look at the, uh, Paul's rejoicing. Paul's rejoicing in verse number 24. He said, um, "Where in verse 23 at the end of it, he says, Whereof I, Paul, have made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and uh, fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church so paul um, as a minister of the gospel as a servant of the lord took some time to rejoice and uh, now for those who have been involved in ministry and again just because you're not maybe in what we would call full-time ministry that doesn't mean we're not full-time servants of the lord okay all of us again uh, as a believer are called to uh, serve the Lord with our lives and uh, while you may have another job that you do uh, that doesn't mean you' you stop serving the Lord at that point we're, we're serving the Lord at all times. Uh, we, we ought to be a minister no matter where we're at and what we're doing no matter where we get our paycheck from And so in the ministry there are a lot of great things to rejoice in but um, but here Paul doesn't point to the 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 fun and the wonderful and the amazing things of ministry, he points to some things that are hard to rejoice in. In verse 24 he says, "...who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh." So these are things that are not necessarily uh, things that we would enjoy and, and, and like, but but Paul decided that he was going to rejoice in them. And so under this, in Paul's rejoicing, we see a couple thoughts here. Uh, first of all, we see that there was some pain. There was definite pain that Paul experienced in the ministry. And, and, and I would dare say for those who've been saved and involved in churches and involved in serving the Lord, there's going there. there's been times that It hasn't been easy, and there's been some hardships and uh, suffering and afflictions along the way. I do want to remind us where Paul was when he wrote this epistle. Colossians is considered one of the prison epistles, and uh, so in other words, Paul was chained to two Roman soldiers when he wrote the book of Colossians. Um, he, He wasn't on vacation sitting on a hammock. He wasn't on a yacht enjoying a Chick-fil-A, and I'm not allowed to say Arnold Palmer anymore because now they've renamed it to Sunjoy. That's not a bad name, but I still like Arnold Palmer. So I still say, can I get an Arnold Palmer? I know you have it, Sunjoy, on the menu, but I'm calling it Arnold Palmer just because I'm an old fuddy-duddy and I'm not going to change. But that's not what Paul was. Paul was chained to two Roman soldiers, and it was less than ideal situation, um, and so he dealt with definite sufferings and afflictions. And uh, you talk about pain, Paul knew what it was like to suffer and experience affliction in the ministry. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, he gives us a, a list of some of the things that he had to deal with in the ministry for the gospel's sake. And uh, you know, he didn't get a bunch of love offerings, and, and he did. And people took care of him, and there were some blessings along the road, you bet. But there was also some difficult things. Here's some of the things that he dealt with. He said, "...in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and day I have been in the deep." in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul knew what it was like to experience suffering and deal with affliction. In the ministry. And yet he still said in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings and in my afflictions. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. One of the hardest parts about the ministry is you uh, give and you you, you spend time, and you invest, and you work with people, and you love them, and then the more you do so, the less they return that love to you. Remember, as a youth pastor, when I was in California, there was this young man that we picked up on a very regular basis for church. We went and picked him up, and, and he lived about uh, 20 minutes from the church, uh, depending on traffic, maybe 30, and uh, we went and picked him up, and and uh, we brought him to Sunday night church. The, the bus would take him on Sunday mornings, but on Sunday night we didn't have a bus. Wednesday night we didn't have a bus, but we thought, this is a young man that we want to invest in and try to develop in the ministry uh, for the Lord. And, and so we picked him up and we took him to eat with us, and, and we spent time with him, and we invested in his life. And then eventually he went away and quit church altogether. And we're like, man... We loved you. We invested in you. We spent time and we, we spent our own money to try to help you and to encourage you for the Lord. And, and this verse came to mind, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And that sometimes is part of the ministry. When we serve people that we deeply love and try to invest in and see them go on for God, they don't. In fact, they kind of get mad at you for trying to help them. And Paul experienced that. Paul told Timothy and uh, to in, in, in 2 Timothy two three, it says, "Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ." We talked about this morning being a follower of Christ is not a comfortable life necessarily. It's not always a convenient life, and uh, there is going to be some hard things that we are going to have to endure. And Paul experienced quite a bit of that, and. And yet, his mentality was, hey, I'm going to rejoice in it. And uh, I think one of the reasons that he was able to rejoice isn't because there was just pain, but uh, secondly, there was purpose in that pain. You see, in verse 24, he says, who who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. You see, somehow... Um, Paul knew that there was an eternal purpose for all of the suffering, for all of the affliction, for all the difficulties that he was going through. And this is how he could rejoice in those times of pain. Can you rejoice during your time of trial? And Some of you are going through a time of suffering and affliction and difficulty right now. Can you rejoice during your time of trial? I would say you can if you understand that God has a purpose and a plan for it. And you say, well, what's the purpose for it? I don't get it. I don't know what the purpose is. Well, guess what? I don't either. <laughs> um, but God does, and that's enough. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. 28, uh, Paul said this, And we know, we have this confidence, this assurance that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Why does God allow certain trials and difficulties and suffering and affliction in our life? I don't know all of the reasons, but I do know that He is able to work all things together for good. That's what the Bible says. And you say, well, I don't see how God can make this work out for good. Uh, Again, I've shared with you how uh, one of our most recent uh, church members uh, came to this church was during an accident that my daughter and I were involved in on Telephone Road on a Friday night or a Tuesday night. I don't remember which night it was. But, uh, and Miss Shirley came out because she heard the accident, came out and checked on faith. My wife ended up showing up later to the scene of the accident and gave her a flyer, an invitation to church. And then several months later, she showed up. And then the Lord began to work in her heart and say, this is the church you need to be part of. You say, how could God make anything good come out of that accident? I lost my silver 2014 F-150. I love that car. I love that truck. Now I have a white one, which is good, but I like the silver one better. (laughs) Uh, How could God make anything good come from that? He can make things good because, look, there is a purpose. And uh, Paul understood that, and he said, look, the the suffering and the affliction, um, all those things that are going on in my life, I know that they're for um, the body's sake, the church's sake. I know that it's here to help uh, the church. I wonder if Paul wouldn't have written this book of the Bible had he not been in prison. Had he not been there, I wonder if he would have not given us the book of Colossians. But because he was, we have the book of Colossians. And uh, now I have a series to preach on Sunday nights. So I'm thankful. So there was a purpose. And uh, of course, Joseph in the Old Testament uh, understood that there was a purpose for all the pain that he experienced. And uh, he experienced quite a bit of pain in dealing with brothers who uh, completely forsook him and uh, wanted to kill him, and then s- instead decided to make some money off of him. And And then he goes to Potiphar's house, and then uh, Potiphar's wife tried to uh, make advances towards him, and he, in his integrity, said no, and then, and then she lied about him, and so then he was put into prison, so being mistreated left and right, and then... Uh, the butler and the baker and, and uh, they, they forget about hi- him. And, and so he's lied about and forgotten and, and mistreated left and right. And, and then finally God brings them to a place of prominence and uh, he sees how and why God did all of that. And in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, Joseph makes this statement. He said to his brethren, but as for you, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. See, Joseph understood there was a purpose for all the pain that he experienced, and that's how he could rejoice in it. And Paul understood that there was a purpose for the trials and the difficulties he was facing. So, for those of us who are serving the Lord and ministers, and and uh, and trying to be a faithful. Um, servants of God, let's rejoice in some of the difficulties that do happen in ministry. And you know, I, I've I've heard this phrase, and maybe you have ter- too, uh, where people would say, "Well, I'm church hurt. I've been a part of a church, and I got hurt there. Um, I got mistreated." And and I'm not doubting that that's happened. Um, but but look, some of those hurts and those afflictions, and I'm not saying that those were good but god can make good come from them and so rejoice in some of those sufferings and afflictions and that's going to be that's going to need to be a priority if we're going to continue on we need to learn to rejoice in the pain understanding that there is a purpose but in this passage we not only see paul's rejoicing but we also see paul's responsibilities in verse 25 down through verse number 28 We see some of those responsibilities that Paul had and that Paul was given. And in verse 25 through 28, Paul shares the burden of responsibility that God put on his shoulders. And it was big responsibilities. In verse number 25, uh, in talking about the church, Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister. Now, this phrase, whereof I am made a minister, appears twice once at the end of verse 23, and then once at the beginning of verse 25. Um, he, he was in verse 23, a minister of the gospel, but then in verse 25, now he's referring to the fact that he is a minister of the church. Um, and, and this is, this is significant because here's the deal. Uh, first of all, he had the responsibility to reveal the mystery, reveal the mystery. And he talks about that mystery here in verse 26 and verse 27, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, how many of you, uh, when watching a movie with someone who's already seen the movie, don't want anybody to say anything? Please don't be a spoiler alert alert person and reveal something. Um, When watching a movie with some of my children, this isn't so much the case anymore. They've kind of grown past this, but uh, mostly. But, But sometimes they'll be like, ooh, this is a funny part coming up. I'm like, don't say that. Just let me experience it like you did the first time. And they're like, ooh, this is a scary part coming up. Please, you know, you don't need to go there, and and they're like, oh, I know who it is who did it. They they're spoiler alert people, and and our kids have done that in the past, um, and um, somebody was doing that a little bit over here um, earlier this this evening, uh, but nobody nobody necessarily likes someone to reveal the mystery. Well. There is a mystery that needed to be revealed, and Paul had the privilege of being the guy to spill the beans on what the mystery was. And for ages and ages, uh, this was hid. Verse 26 says that even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. And what was the mystery that he had the privilege of revealing and And uh, many of you have heard the phrase, a magician, one of my favorite phrases, is a magician never reveals his secrets. Well, here, uh, Paul isn't the magician here, but he has the privilege and the responsibility to reveal what the mystery is. What is the mystery? Well, verse 27, here's the mystery among the Gentiles, and here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God would want to dwell in the hearts of sinful men. Paul got to talk about that. Paul got to make that known to the Gentiles. Christ in you. You think back to uh, the Christmas story and realize, you know, it's May. We don't talk about Christmas in May. I guess maybe we could talk about it in July. Some people talk about it in July. Okay, but Christmas, we, we rejoice in the fact that uh, Jesus Christ came to this earth and His name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And in one of those names that we studied even last Christmas, as we went through the names of Christmas, one of the names we studied was Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us, right? We all know that. And I'm thankful that God came to this earth and became flesh and dwelt among us. And we we have God, Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Then Paul says, look, it goes even more than that. It's even better than God with us. Now Christ is can be in you, which is the hope of glory. And not just for the Jews, but now also for the Gentiles. And this is the mystery that uh, had been hidden for ages and generations, but now Paul has the uh, responsibility to reveal the mystery. And what a great truth it is. I love the phraseology in verse 27 at the end of it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How beautiful is that? So he had the responsibility to reveal the mystery. But then, not only that, he had the responsibility to reach every man. In verse 28, we find this uh, responsibility mentioned. He says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now notice the balance of warning the lost and then teaching the saved. In verse 28, it says, "...whom we preach, warning every man." This is the warning the lost about their lost condition and what the destiny uh, is, uh, their, their future for, for the unsaved. But then also, um, there's the balance of not only just doing that, but also teaching the saved, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul did have a passion for reaching the lost with the gospel, and he did try to warn every man and and get the gospel to, to them so that they would be saved, but he didn't just focus on getting people saved. He was also just as zealous to teach these new converts the truth of God's word, and isn't that the Great Commission, to teach all nations, getting them the gospel, but then also baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we are to get the gospel to people, we are to baptize them, and then disciple them. Each part is important. Paul recognized that and remembered that it was his responsibility, but by the way, it's not just Paul's responsibility to do that it's our responsibility to do that as well, right? To get the gospel and to warn every man, but then also to teach every man. And and we want to do both. We don't want to just focus on one and not the other. Uh, We need to be a church where we're getting the gospel out and warning every man, but we also need to be a church that is teaching every man in all wisdom so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So as we uh, remember our priorities, we're to rejoice in the pain real remembering that there is a purpose for it but then we also to remember the priority of our responsibility now while paul was given the responsibility to uh, reveal the mystery you and i now have the privilege of reaching every man with the truth of that mystery that hey christ can be in you yes even gentiles And uh, we need to remember our our responsibility in that way. And then, uh, last thought here and last priority is Paul's resource. In verse number 29, he says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. As we think about Paul's resource, first, we need to see that there was striving going on. He said in verse 29, "I, I also labor, and I'm striving, and I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm putting forth effort. The word labor means to feel fatigue. By implication means to work hard, to toil, to be wearied. When Paul says the word striving, that, that means to struggle, um, to, to fight fervently to strive, to agonize. And so here, Paul did was not a lazy bone Jones when it came to his responsibility. He, he worked hard at getting the gospel out. He worked hard at teaching every man. He was not lazy. He was determined and uh, dedicated to what he was doing. Look, the ministry is work. Whether you're doing it full-time as a job or even as a ministry within the church. And you're um, called upon to uh, play an instrument or teach Sunday school or even usher. It's work. It requires some things. It's work. By the way, it's not a drudgery or a bummer. It's, It's honestly a privilege to serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And it really is the greatest work in all the world to be able to serve the Lord. But it is indeed work. Serving the Lord is not for the lazy or for those who want to be coddled. It is work. It's labor. It's striving, Paul said. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 1, he said, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So those who are pastors, it's not just a title, it's a life of work. Ministry takes effort. and People have joked with me, and, and, and I, know, I know people are joking when they say this, mostly, um, that, hey, pastor, you only work on Sundays and Wednesday nights. That's about the only time you really work, probably. And I know that you know that that's not true. I know that. But just so you know that the ministry of the Lord Jesus does require effort. It requires labor. It requires striving and and even sacrifice. And it is draining in every area. I'm not complaining tonight, but just stating fact that those who serve the Lord, it's not an easy profession. And I've told Brother Blake this I don't know how many times. But I was—I've said to him because he's dealt with some suffering and affliction along the way, um, and I said, "Hey, brother, my pastor told me this, and I'm going to tell you this too. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, <laughs> and that's the truth. It's not easy. It's difficult, and it takes some labor. It does take some striving." And uh, you say, well, that sounds like a lot of work. And it is. But, but here in verse 29, Paul shares how he is able to continue, continue laboring in the vineyard, how he can faithfully strive forward for the Lord, how, how he can do that. And so we see that there was striving, but there was also strength in verse 29. He says, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. See, it's it's not about me mustering it all and, and using my own strength. No, look, the arm of flesh will fail me. I, I need him to work in me mightily so that I can continue serving the Lord. Philippians 4.13, maybe some of you are thinking, Hey, doesn't this kind of sound like Philippians 4.13? Well, you'd be right. Because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through me working so hard. No. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. See, it's him who gives me the strength to be able to continue rejoicing in the pain He can continue strengthening me so that I can fulfill the responsibility to reach every man and then teach every man. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. And, of course, this is taking it a little bit out of context. The real context there is uh, living a contented life, regardless of what, what state you're in, regardless of how much you have or how little you have, you can still be content. That's the context, but we can make the application here When it comes to serving the Lord, we can't serve the Lord in our own power, in our own strength. We need to depend upon Him. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And the the phrase there, uh, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Remember, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, He's that resource that we need to keep serving and keep going and keep fulfilling our responsibilities. This is the real key to serving the Lord. Realize that we can't serve Him in our own strength, but when we rely and depend upon His strength, we can accomplish great and mighty things for His glory. And by the way, the reason He is our resource of strength is so that we don't take the glory for ourselves. See, whenever something good happens in and through your ministry, say, man, you did a good job ushering. You did a good job teaching Sunday school. Thank you for all that you do. You don't go, yeah, I am pretty amazing. No, when you recognize the fact that it is his working, which worketh in you mightily, in your heart of hearts you go, hey, it's not me, it's him that's giving me the strength to do the work. You know, I. It doesn't happen often uh, that somebody will say, "Hey, that was a good message." Um, usually, they're just hungry and want to leave and get out the door. <laughs> uh, but here, whenever that happens, I recognize that it wasn't me. It's not anything in Eric. It's everything about what Christ has giving me in the in strength, and he, he's in me, the hope of glory, and, and he's working in me mightily, and, and so that he gets the glory, so he gets the praise, and not me. See? Um, we know that it was the Lord who gave us the strength to do it in the first place. 2 Corinthians 12:9, one last verse. And he said unto me to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And when you recognize that, look, I can't do it on my own, Lord. I can't serve in the ministry that I've been called to on my own. I need you to be my strength when I am weak. Then he says, My strength is made perfect in that weakness. His strength is attracted to our weakness. And so he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul got to the point where he understood, look, my weakness, I'm going to actually like glory in that, so that God's power can rest upon me, and so that he gets the praise, he gets the credit, he gets the glory for anything good that happens in, in and through me. So, since every member should be a minister, every saint should be a servant, let's determine to have these same priorities in our lives. To rejoice when we suffer for the Lord's sake. To fulfill our responsibilities of reaching every man. And then depending upon the resource of God's strength to keep doing the work of the Lord long term. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together tonight to look at some of these priorities of the ministry. And Lord, I know that these certainly apply to me, but these apply to every person in this room because, Lord, you've called each one to serve you, each each one to minister, each one to be a servant of the Lord. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful, to rejoice when we go through times of affliction. And to not have a pity party, but Lord, to understand that there is a purpose for those times of trial. To rejoice in you who doesn't change, even though the circumstances do. And then, Lord, help us to fulfill our responsibility as believers to get the gospel out into uh, this lost world. And then, but not only just reach people with the gospel, but then uh, to teach them the truths. God's word so that they would grow and develop and be disciples and then Lord help us to remember the resource of our strength is not in ourselves it's in you who resides within who works in us mightily and God help us to depend upon you and your strength to be able to accomplish your purpose for our lives well thank you for all you do Our heads are bowed, eyes closed. Uh, Miss Pat, would you mind just playing through this first uh, verse of this song? And as she does, I want to encourage you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat. And then we'll sing a couple verses of this song um, in just a moment.